Today on episode 18, I have a good guest for you today. Today on the show, we have Nick Loper. Now, Nick is a TEDx speaker. He's the author of The Side Hustle, The Progress Journal, and Buy Buttons, and many more other books. He's also the host of The Side Hustle Show. Now, I know of Nick from The Side Hustle Show, and they go through numerous income streams or side hustles, which can help you or your child. I've been listening to his show for about three years now, and I'm honored to have him on. Nick is here with us today to talk about income streams and how we could possibly pass that on to our children. Stay tuned to later on where we're going to talk about a contest that we'll be holding on later on in the month and how you can enter and win an Amazon gift card. So as always, I hear a calling me. Dad, hurry up and turn on the music. Have you ever wondered why some people seem to have it all financially? Do well-off parents simply hand their children money? Or is there more to this wealth thing? Welcome to Raising Financial Freedom, the podcast. We are here to talk about everything you never knew to teach your children when it comes to starting their financial future. The principles behind wealth and methods that are out there to teach your child about personal financial freedom. There is no real trick to earning other than learning. We are here to discuss, teach, and grow with you. Raising Financial Freedom, the podcast, with your host and concerned parent, Eric Yard. Let us get right into today's show. Welcome to everybody to another show of Raising Financial Freedom. I would like to welcome Nick Loper. <laughs> Nick, how are you doing today? I love it. Love the oh, applause yeah, effect. Do that for your guests. <laughs> So, Nick, let's get right into it. In this day and age, in your opinion, how important is it for a person to have an alternate source of income? I think it is somewhat dangerous to rely on only one source of income. I think that's kind of a fragile, financially speaking, way to live. But to each their own, right? Like, I'm not one to be like, everybody has to have a side hustle. No, it's like, do what you're do what you're comfortable with. Do what right, you want to do. Right. But it just seems in this day and age that it, you really need something else going with your main job. And I think personally that some most people should have something, even if it's really minor, something that gives even fifty dollars a week or something. Yeah, something I find that side hustles are a fantastic way to build extra skills to build some resilience, just to build your your confidence and your self worth. Even about your net worth outside of what it says on your business card, what it says on your paycheck. No, look, I have the ability to ring the cash register in other ways other than just relying on what my employer chooses to give me. So back in the days, it was when I was doing a side job or a gig. It, it was pretty much time consuming and much harder. How would you compare that to today now? I actually did another job. It was just, that's my that was my form of, of a side hustle was actually working in a grocery store yeah. someplace else right after I came from my main job. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think that definitely counts. There is somewhat of a connotation with side hustles that there's this entrepreneurial upside. There's this idea that it maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but maybe someday this could be the thing that scales, that replaces my day job income, that gets beyond just trading hours for dollars. But Hey, whether it's a second job at the grocery store, whether it's delivering pizzas, bartending, driving for Postmates, DoorDash, like I think all of that counts. Right. Yeah, I, it definitely counts. It definitely. 
But I believe today, definitely, if the kids today or the teenagers today or even the adults today knew how it was <laughs> about, I would say, three decades ago <laughs> compared to them just being able to jump on a PC or jump on even on their phone and start making money, they would know that they'll really appreciate what's going on right now. The opportunities are, are out there. That's funny you mentioned that. I was talking with a guy who had a merch by Amazon, like print on demand t-shirt and merchandise type of business. And he's pretty tedious work uploading all of these designs to these different platforms. But then he caught himself. He's like, but for the sake of reference, my grandfather's generation had to go into the ground and pull coal out. So it, it could be worse. Mm-hmm. Correct. That is so true. <laughs> In school, we are programmed for one income stream. How important is it that teens know about other income streams? This is an important point. So you go to school, you're trained to be a cog in someone else's system. And that's fine, depending on the system that you find yourself in, that could be a very lucrative and fulfilling career. But I want you to envision your envision your income like a pie chart. And you start out and it's active income versus passive income here. And the whole pie chart, when you first are starting your working career, it's all active income, right? You, you go to a job, you go cut grass, you do whatever it is that you do to earn money. And then over time, maybe you start having some investments, collect a little bit of dividend income, maybe buy a rental property, right? And now you have a tiny sliver of the pie that is passive income, or at least time leveraged income. And over the course of your working career, the goal is to get that to 100% passive or 100% time leveraged because Warren Buffett puts it this way. If you don't find a way to make money in your sleep, you're going to work until you die. And it hits you like, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Even if I have a job that I love, I would love to have the option not to do this. So think of that income as a pie and think about how you can grow, but make the pie bigger, of course, by all means, but see if you can uh, start to uh, generate some of these more passive pieces of that income pie. In your span, you've seen must be thousands of side hustles. In your opinion, Nick, what side hustles can teenagers start that they can easily get into? Oh, teenage side hustles. Man, for me, it was uh, painting houses in college was one of the early income streams. I was the kid trying to sell uh, baseball cards at the end of the driveway to my equally broke friends. So that wasn't a great business model. Uh, But thinking about side hustles for teens or things that teenagers can do, I am really big on uh, a couple ideas here. The first is the local service market. And this could be cutting grass. This could be gutter cleaning. This could be mobile uh, car detailing, which we had a recent uh, episode on the Side Hustle Show about with, I think, a college student and his brother started this thing. And it was, I think, the opportunity here lies in a couple different areas. The first is that more and more people are outsourcing these types of chores, saying, I don't want to do this myself. I This is just not how I want to spend my free time. Somebody gave me the stat that 20 years ago, only 5% of homeowners outsourced their lawn mowing or hired a service to do that. And today it's 40%. And so we're seeing that kind of across the board in these types of little local services. And the, the second area of opportunity here is that a lot of the competition is still operating at a five or 10 year or 15 year technological lag. So if you come in with a a little more uh, tech savvy, forward internet facing marketing element, I think you stand head and shoulders above the competition and it'd be relatively quick to start to get on the first page of of Google uh, and generate some leads that way. The other area that is really interesting to me, so that's like the offline elbow grease type of side hustles. And to be fair, hey, 
if you become a master marketer, find somebody else to do the work. Find somebody reliable. Take a percentage off the top. You're all of a sudden now you have a business instead. Like, and you can do this online, offline, right? Like, I'm a freelance writer versus I own a freelance writing business. I am a lawnmower versus I own a lawn care company. Lots of different. There's just a subtle reframe uh, on that. But the second thing that's exciting is the online world, and that could be like blogging, podcasting, YouTubing. I think that is all very interesting to me right now, like build an audience because it, it scales, right? Instead of one-to-one customer relationships, it, it can be one-to-many. And I think that's really powerful. One of the business models in that online space that is really interesting to me right now is in email newsletters. And for a lot of the reasons that we talked about, relatively low overhead, I mean, almost zero startup costs uh, to get this thing going, and ultimately could be monetized with advertising, with uh, affiliate offers with your own products and services. I think it's a really cool way to go. Even if you're just curating, you, he, here's the best three things I found on the internet today on topic of your choice. And I think that's really valuable for subscribers. It becomes part of their daily routine. And I think there's a lot of things you can do with that down the road once you have that audience paying attention right. to you. I, I think that's, yeah, definitely. That is a definite route you can take. You have kids of your own. Do you plan in the future when they get of age to uh, steer them into a any certain type of alternative income streams when the time is right? I will try and help them develop an entrepreneurial skill set. It's funny. We were just, this week, we went to cash in our aluminum can collecting uh, money. <laughs> so we've been cleaning up like the parking lot, this empty lot behind our house, collecting cans and they find them. And it's, it's like a treasure hunt because they find them and then they ask to smash them. And they're two and four for the sake of reference. Then we rolled up to the recycling center and they were like, really got $5 and 45 cents. Hey, $5. And they split it between the two of them. And now they learn to count money. And I don't know, it was a fun little activity for us. So you've introduced money to them. How did you start doing that? I don't know. I probably started with grandma and grandpa grandma would send them a dollar for every year they are they're like i got money i got four monies they're all excited i don't know what the right way to do it is but trying to teach them hey, look money doesn't grow on trees you got to work for this stuff but at the same time and and because he also is like i got money for christmas i got money for my birthday like i want to go buy a lego like you you can't and it's of course way better to make these twenty dollar mistakes when you're four than make two hundred thousand dollar mistakes when you're twenty four. But uh we're trying to still figure out the best way to instill positive financial right. habits. So here at Raising Financial Freedom with big advocates of um financial literacy, how important do you think it is for a young person to be financially literate before they get into any type of income stream. Well, it's such a bummer that we don't get more education on this front in school because you never really get taught about it. I was really fortunate. I had a math teacher in high school who was like uh, stock market investing, mutual funds, dollar cost averaging. He's like, you just set it and forget it. And in 30 years, you'd be a million. Where he stopped short, which I didn't, it didn't come across my radar until years later anyways, was like, what's the end game? It's like, he never paid any attention to your expenses. What do you actually spend? It was just like this automated investment plan, which was certainly better than nothing, but it never got to once you have enough or once you have what the, the data suggests, 25, 30 times your annual expenses, then you're free. And had we had that little bit of education, probably would have been more incentive to tackle the both the income side and the expense side. Right. So being the host of the Side Hustles show, you've seen all types of side hustles. 
What are some of the unique side hustles you've seen during your time as the host of the Side Hustle Show? Unique side hustles. There's a ton. In the arena of local services, one of the inspiring ones recently was a woman who started a uh, pet waste removal business, a pooper scooper business, where the inspiration struck from cleaning up after her own dog. Like, this sucks. What? If it's a pain point for me, it's probably a pain point for other people, recurring weekly customers. As long as that dog is around, they're going to have this problem. They're hooked on her service. Now she's got other people going out, doing the route for her. I think that one is really inspiring. I met a guy this episode will air pretty shortly this month who has a hot tub rental business. I thought this was an awesome idea. Portable hot tub rentals, these big old, uh, not inflatable, but he said like big old like foam things. They weigh a couple hundred pounds, rolls them onto the back of the pickup truck. Hey, it's 400 bucks a month. Do you want to rent this thing? I was like, hey, this pencils out way better than traditional rental real estate. This is awesome. So those two come to mind. I think of the some of the online ones. There's a couple guys who run a site called finversusfin.com, which is a really interesting example because just in the past couple of years, they've grown this to, I want to say, 40, 50 grand a month uh, revenue-wise. And they've got some expenses in hiring writers to create content. But the business model is an affiliate model where they're uh, generating revenue uh, from lead generation or like for a customer acquisition for these different companies and brands that they're reviewing. But their bread and butter is just creating comparison posts, like super in-depth comparison posts on direct-to-consumer brand A versus direct-to-consumer brand B, imperfect produce versus farm fresh to you. Or uh, they said they got started with like the hair loss one. So it was like Roman versus hymns or something. And it was like off to the races from there. And I thought that was a really inspiring one because conventional wisdom was like, dude, don't start a blog in 2018. That ship has sailed. But here are a couple guys. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's sailing. I don't think it, it's still there. You just have to go about it a little bit differently. But yeah, that's good. For me personally, um, it was the public domain publishing that you that you did that episode. When I listened oh, okay, to that okay. episode, it just blew my mind. I was like, oh, repurposing old content and putting it out there into the world for people who don't didn't know anything about it from before. And you could get paid from it. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that was a cool one. I love these examples of selling stuff. You got your inventory for free. You had some labor and involved in formatting and editing and stuff, but it was definitely yeah, a creative it one. It definitely was. I enjoyed that one. What was your biggest challenge you've had to overcome starting your first side hustle? The biggest challenge was uh, getting uh, slapped by Google on my first day of, of what I called my retirement, of self-employment. So I'd you know, finally gotten up the nerve to quit my, quit my day job, my corporate America gig, turn in the keys to my company car, and I have visions of the four-hour work week and this like margaritas on the beach lifestyle waiting for me. And then on day one, Google says, hey, you know what, Nick? Your site no longer meets our quality guidelines. You can't advertise with us anymore. Oh, so wait, what, Google? You never, you could have told me this anytime in the past two years, but instead you choose today of all days. It was a crazy stressful summer trying to get back into their good graces. And ultimately they came back and said, hey, we made an error. You're good to go. And it was off to the races, but it was like, what is going on? That really hammered home the point of diversification, of trying to build your own customer list, like rather than playing in somebody else's sandbox. And to a certain extent, you're always going to be reliant on some of these mega platforms, YouTube, Google, Facebook, uh, Amazon for kind of search and discovery. But 
as soon as you can, as strategically as you can, try and get people off of that platform into an ecosystem that you own. And for most, most often that's going to be your, your email list. Right. Yeah, definitely. And Google did that more than once <laughs> and, and it will continue doing it to this day. <laughs> yeah. The algorithm giveth and the algorithm taketh away it in a lot of cases. Does. What side hustle of yours do you love the most? That's a good question. The podcast is my, my little creative baby, which started as a side hustle project. And now it's my main focus. People uh, tell people, well, I host this 45 hour long uh, minute podcast once a week. And and then they'll ask, well, what do you do the rest of the time? <laughs> it's like, it's a little bit that goes into it. So uh, the podcast, my, my creative outlet, that's the what started as a $60 mic in the living room has turned into a, a full-time income. And, and that's been a life-changing experiment. Another one that I recently sold was a website called Virtual Assistant, which was a directory and review platform. This was probably the most time-leveraged project that I created and ran that as that was like the four-hour workweek type of business. It didn't require a ton of maintenance, ton of upkeep, but generated decent search traffic, generated decent affiliate commissions. And uh, I was the reason I sold it, I was just afraid of continuing to neglect it or giving, giving COVID times and reduced work hours. It's like, okay, how do I hedge over here? So I didn't want to show declining revenue and then the asset becomes worth right. a little bit less. What, how did you feel after you sold that um, assistant, after you sold it? That must have been like a taking your breath away right there because you had something for so long. And I listened to the episode that you did it on and to sell it for that much is, oh, wow. I didn't even think that you could hold on to something that long and be worth that much. Yeah. When I started, I had no idea that people were buying and selling websites. I became aware of that secondary marketplace over the course of the years. I remember when the, when the money hit my account, which was, a, for the sake of reference, like a low six-figure sum. It's like the most money I've ever seen in a single day hit my account. And was, I just remember having an awful headache that day, probably unrelated to the sale. We were like, I was working with the wife and kids. We we're like cleaning out the garage. They're yelling. They're going crazy. I go back in for some reason to probably to get some Advil and check my computer. And I see that the money has hit my account. And it's almost anticlimactic because it's coming. And it was, it was weird in that sense. But the next night when I was feeling a little better, we had a little bit of, a little bit of champagne, wife and I, and we're like, okay, cheers. On to the next that thing. Is, that, that's a win. <laughs> celebrate yeah, the wins. You got to celebrate those wins. That's what it's all about. So if you had to do it all over again, what is the first thing you would do? That's a good question. You know what? I might start. That's a good question. Because I love podcasting. I still think there's a huge upside in podcasting because- I think half the population doesn't even know what a podcast is yet. So there's a, there's a lot of people left to discover on-demand audio and being able to listen to whatever they want to, whatever they want to. It's really a very cool medium. I, if I was doing the podcast over again, I might add a video component and be more intentional about that to be able to slice, even just to slice up clips and answer you know specific questions on YouTube. Because the advantage that YouTube has that podcasting doesn't is a much stronger element of search and discovery. Keyword search intent, question and answer, right? If people can find your content, that's much easier to do on YouTube than it is uh, to do through any sort of podcast app, uh, especially if you're going to slice up those little clips and, and put them on there. The other advantage that YouTube has is this element of virality that if you hit the algorithm just right, all of a sudden something that 
had a thousand views goes to ten thousand goes to a hundred thousand in a relatively quick period of time versus I, I don't think I've ever had a podcast a single episode take off like that in the form of a YouTube video can. I think so too. I think video is big. I just haven't had had a chance to get into it. So much time in a day, but I definitely be taking yeah. that route. I just gotta come up with a unique wave in order to uh, repurpose my content. But yeah, definitely video is big. Even if you have no desire to be a YouTube personality, there's opportunity there in just answering people's questions, answering, if you have solved a problem in your own life, how to, one of the videos I did years ago was like how to keep Dropbox from storing all these files locally. Like I don't quit cluttering up my local hard drive Dropbox. And so quick little screen capture video. I don't even know if I narrated it, but that one gets thousands of views every, I don't know how much it's that now, a significant amount of views. I did another one on like how to create a full, how to, how to create a folder in Gmail or something dumb again, five, six, seven years ago. And it still gets views. It still racks up these little ad dollars. It feels like the world's most passive income. <laughs> yeah. That's one thing about YouTubers and um, podcasters when they talk about their downloads and views, the ones that they never expected that would take off. <laughs> so I definitely understand yeah. that. What is the best piece of advice you can give to teenagers or young adults looking to find their first side hustle? I would frame it as an experiment. So give yourself permission to put on the scientist's lab coat for a minute and give yourself permission to test something out. If you're young, this is not going to be life-threatening. One of the most powerful pieces of advice that I think was given on the show is from Todd Tresseter. He runs a site called financialmentor.com. And his advice was like, if you limit your downside, like how much are you going to put at risk? It's, it just becomes a, a question of getting enough at bats. It just becomes a, a law of large numbers almost. If you try enough things and you limit your downside, one of them is going to be the hit that erases all the losses and can be this could be the vehicle that builds generational wealth. And I thought that was so powerful because you, you just, you never know what it's going to be. So first you have to adopt that experimenter's mindset, and then you got to be able to take swings to through a hundred to, if the first one doesn't work out to keep, uh, to keep hacking away at it. Nick, I want to thank you for coming out to the show. Let the people know where they can find you and where you may have any future projects coming up. You bet. So sidehustlenation.com slash ideas is my constantly updated laundry list of part-time business ideas. If you could start today, that's a good place to get the creative juices flowing. And of course, would love to have you tune into the Side Hustle show in your favorite podcast player app. As far as upcoming projects, just focusing on the show, working on some uh, book projects and maybe some other products coming down the road, but nothing concrete just yet. All right, Nick, once again, thank you for coming on the show. For me, it was kind of different talking to someone that you admire. But one thing you definitely could get from Nick is that you need to transfer some of that work into passive income. Like he said, if you can't find a way to earn while you're sleeping. So yes, the word of the day is passive income income. Without a shadow of a doubt, we need to teach that word to our children and also implement that into our lives. Now, like I was saying on the top of the show, we will be holding a contest for the question of the month. Whoever answers the question of the month will automatically be entered into the contest for a $25 
Amazon gift card. Now, all you have to do is go to the contact page on the Raising Financial Freedom website and scroll down to the bottom. Look and you'll see the question of the month. Answer the question of the month and you automatically will be answered. You can find out the last day and how to answer the question and how you can submit your answer. So as always, I would love for you to share with other parents. Tell them, email them, text them, write them a note, do whatever. But just tell other parents and share. Until next week, stay safe. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Raising Financial Freedom, the podcast. Stay connected with us directly through RaisingFinancialFreedom.com. You can also join the discussion on social media, which you can also find links on our website. If you would like to speak with us, please send us an email through info at RaisingFinancialFreedom.com. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Don't forget to please like and subscribe to stay fully up to date. Until next time, be kind to yourself and each other.